Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the Marketing Minds at DoConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. Episode 117 with Becca and Bryce. How's everybody doing? Excellent. How about you? Doing great. Doing great. Kevin, you have some exciting news about the Pulse, it looks like. Oh, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to make a comment about the fact that I'm wearing a hat. You I are wearing a hat. Worn a hat. It is Friday. <laughs> Casual Friday. Of any kind. Even though before. I should do that because I'm always like, I have to do my hair. Otherwise, I look like a crazy person. Oh, yeah. And sometimes I just don't feel like doing it. But if I'm a camera, I kind of have to do it. So I should get yeah. a hat. The only reason I'm wearing a hat is because today is Pulse Pulse Prep Day, so I have one call this afternoon with with you, Andrew, and someone else. But otherwise, Uh, I am Pulse mode. No more cameras for me, except for for that call. So, yeah, Yeah. Pulse uh, update. We've got over 140 registrations. Uh, Recording this on Friday, September 4th, from more than 90 different home building organizations. Oh, cool! And yeah, so we're way ahead of the game because we know virtual events. It's like last minute because no one's got to get. Air, you know, airfare, mm-hmm. hotels booked. It's like, I'm in. So we know there's going to be a rush. Just a reminder, 9-15, September 15th, will be the cutoff date at midnight for when we'll be able to take everyone who's registered up to that point and start creating VIP pulse groups where we'll curate them, make sure you've got the best possible match of the people that you're in. We'll also give you an opportunity to get on a call with members from the Do You Convert team and those people in your group, so you can meet everyone ahead of time, be a little bit ahead of the game, start networking, talking to each other uh, right away. Registration will stay open way, right on up until the day before the event. But we do have a new scholarship opportunity available now. We talked about this on our Facebook Live a week or so ago. And so for every 25 tickets that are sold, we'll have one scholarship ticket available, partly due to the, the great response we've had from our sponsors. So we have... A record break. I think we're up to 17 now. That's um, a lot. DX and Box Brownie all signed up as well, which is great because we use both of those organizations. Becca, are you, or Bryce, are you okay? Yeah, I just sneezed. Okay. <laughs> it's like you're about to, it looks like you're about to throw up. All right, moving on. Hold it. That's fine. Uh, so Real life is, happens. I'm going to go fast because there's so many, but I do, I do feel compelled due to their generosity to mention their names here. This is in no particular order. O'Neill Interactive, Enter Now, BombBomb, Avid Ratings, Novi Home, Zillow New Construction, Focus 360, BDX, Homebridge, Tutan Creative, U-Tour, Outhouse, Anugo, Clear Evaluations, Box Brownie, Open Door, and last but certainly not, not least, Lasso. It's crazy just to see all these names on one screen. It's, it's like the like, whole home building world. Right? Minus the builders. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this time we pre-sold without fail the sponsors somehow. It's, well, it's significantly easier when you don't have to travel your whole team and ship all your equipment and... Right. They're, yeah, they're probably excited right. about it. And I did have someone else ask me again. I feel like we've put this out there, but the Online Sales and Marketing Summit is not the Pulse. There are two different events. We'll continue to do the Pulse in other years. However, for this year, most of that content that you would have wanted to get from the Summit will be in the Pulse. So the Summit is is on for 2021 in Dallas, Texas. You can learn more about that at doconvert.com slash events. 
Uh, we also have had a rush of people signing up for the first ever Market Proof Marketing Academy, which we don't have time really to talk about much more today. Yeah. Uh, and we, we haven't even talked about it really. <laughs> to go <laughs> that. As well as the Online Sales Academy, which is coming up at the end of October. So whew, lots of stuff. And today's a very special episode because we've got a very amazing guest, Scott Stratton, multiple New York Times bestselling author. Unmarketing is probably the book that our audience would have known him for the most, but he's incredibly funny and a blast to talk to. And he's going to be one of our keynote speakers at The Pulse. And so we'll get a little preview of who he is and how he thinks later on this episode. But first, awesome. we got to start with story time. Yeah. So who would like to go? First? I'll go. Okay. I've been super busy this week with price increases and oh, actually cool. last week as well. And it got me thinking about the different strategies for implementing those price increases. And I know there's a lot of different ways you can do it, but I'm a fan of the smaller increases that are more frequent. And yeah. I'm a fan of increasing the communities that can handle a bigger price increase more. Yeah, spread, spread it out. Don't, yeah. No across the board increases. No. Right? <laughs> it hurts. It's your, easier. Your it's harder. faster. 10 grand for everything, but some of your communities, even if they can absorb it right now, once we get back to normal, and this is what we talked about a little bit, once we get back to anything that looks more like normal, those communities will be the first ones to suffer. And it's really hard to go backwards. Remember, it's it's easy to go up. It's it's harder to go down without trying to take more out of the house or, or else you're going to have yeah. a lot of people upset with you too in that backlog. Since your backlogs have, are much bigger, that's a bigger risk as well. Do you have a favorite day for those price increases as far as <laughs> helping marketing? And that wouldn't just apply to us. Uh, any like day, if, but today. How about that? <laughs> yeah. so, Friday, okay. yeah. No, no, not Friday, just today. Like, oh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times someone would walk by. Hey, Kevin, we're going to increase prices. When? Now. We just did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it's not just bad for marketing because we've got to scramble to get everything updated. <laughs> but it's also bad for sales because they can't use it as a tool. And, th and that, again, would usually happen when you're way ahead and operations suddenly realizes we've got to catch up now. But in most situations, and for great customer service, you usually want to have some, even if it's 48 hours, lead up time to, to let those people who are on the fence know yeah. that they need to move. Hey, we're increasing the price on this on Thursday. Just ah! give you a chance to take advantage of the lower price. <laughs> before it's increased, something right. like that. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Bryce, what about you? Yeah, so as I've been going through and checking on everybody's ads, I've noticed a lot of ads are going with comments are just left hanging, which mm. those comments can turn into leads. It's just who's the follow-up person? Is it the online sales? Is it marketing? I know both teams are so busy um, dying or giving one person the role is really important for these leads that are just left standing at this point. Yeah. It's the positive and the negative mm -hmm. too, right? There's the, there's the moderation of the not in my backyard crowd or the, well, wouldn't it be nice if everyone could afford those homes, but why don't you build new homes from the sixties so yeah. I can buy one? You got, you got those people too. So yep. positive and the negative both need to be, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity being missed out there. No doubt. Do you think yeah. it matters who has it? It's more important that everyone knows it's that person or those two, three individuals' responsibility? 
or in this, like right now, OSCs do not need to be talking to comments on Facebook. I guess it depends That's on the organization, question. like they're how busy yeah, they are. Marketing definitely, and, and if Julie was on, I think she'd be great to talk about this too, since she was a backup for her online salesperson at Ideal Homes. That's where marketing has to have some capability to be able to, to help with a surge. So if, if there is a lead surge and there's there, certainly they shouldn't be looking at comments before answering the phones, mm -hmm. but then who else is, and if it's not marketing, marketing should be asking the question so that we can get, you know, a sales assistant in the model who, who again, why do we need to have models open for walk-in traffic? We don't, I can't wait, by the way, the article that I wrote for professional builder that I think is going to come out in the next issue is like the most exciting. They did such a great job of making whatever I gave them look really good. But I was like, man, this is, this is awesome. But the gist of it without really is that walk-in traffic is, that's the main thing we should have learned from the pandemic is that we don't need walk-in traffic to be successful. So Bryce, I think it makes perfect sense. Just get a sales assistant. And that's Andrew. Part of it is ideally you have someone who can take them just a little bit further down the process instead of just, you know, repeating back to them what they already saw in the ad or, or just constantly asking, would you like to talk to a professional? Would you like to schedule an appointment? You know, giving yes, them of course. Yeah. some bit of feedback is helpful too. Awesome. My story time is really just a high five to Ryan Snar from Destination. Now we've had him on the podcast. He's an amazing designer and he, he was pretty open about some of his own weaknesses that he's had to work to plug in terms of his role when it comes to digital and understanding some of how that works and the importance of it. But I want to give a shout out to him because he is one of only three or four people, but he's the most consistent at using a tool that I gave him about two years ago now. Every day before we have our call or the day of our calls, he will send me this tracking form that I gave him, which is a version of something I used at every builder I ever worked for that helps you know if you're on pace for the month or not. And, you know, are things good? Or are they not good? Just a, it's a, just a great overall sheet of metrics to consider when you're in the role. And without fail, he's got that updated and it makes our calls much better, just more, more nuanced. We can look at the entire funnel visually on this one sheet. And it just reminded me how much discipline is necessary because if you're only looking at data sporadically, which is why we've always talked about coffee and analytics go together or whatever warm beverage you get. Like if you're not looking at the data on a consistent basis, it just doesn't work the same way. You, you've got to, you know, the other way I talk about it is that you got to, it's got to feel like a thumbprint. Like you recognize that, you know, the patterns. So big high five to Ryan. The other caution out there, cautionary tale, cautionary story is every builder right now is looking at build on your lot and thinking that's amazing. I should consider that because <laughs> they're either running out of home sites and there's, there's plenty of land out there. Sure. You might have to have a septic system and might not have uh, city water, whatever, but it seems very attractive. It is a lot of hard work. Go back and listen to Don's episode about that. It's it's not just hard work once you start building. It's really hard work educating and helping people understand how the pricing works, that you're going to have to pay for development costs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just a caution that if you're already overwhelmed with leads, adding a build on your lot division or, or portion of your company is going to exacerbate that dramatically. because people don't understand the price point 
And so if you're already overwhelmed with leads, if you are going to go in that direction, just go very, very, very slowly. I wouldn't run, for example, Facebook and Instagram ads about on your lot. Just just focus on search and other things that are not going to cause the same volume of people who are confused because it takes a lot of education. Yeah. I, th- I think, mm-hmm. would you say there's an average number of like five times more leads on your lot builders receive compared to community? Um, probably through, I would say closer to three times, but three. still that's, I mean, that's a, that's lot. a lot, especially right now. And the problem <laughs> is the percentage of those leads that are saleable or don't require significant amounts of education and time for them to go through any sort of process is much, much worse. So if, you know, our average right now at DConvert is right around 35 to 40% of leads to appointment across all the builders that we work with on your lot is typically half that. And so three times more plus half as likely to to go to appointment, yeah. that's a lot of extra work. Sounds like it. A lot of extra work. So tempting, though. <laughs> it is tempting, though. <laughs> There's all that land just sitting there. We can just Good. hang out. All right, moving on to the news. I can't believe we didn't talk about this last time. I apologize. I posted this out <laughs> all over the place on social media because it's a really freaking huge deal. Yeah. This is from CNBC.com from August 27th. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell announces that new Fed approach to inflation that could keep rates lower for longer. I believe I've talked about this here. Certainly we've talked about it with our builder partners on our calls that I really felt like the main thing that was going to change the current market we're in was going to be interest rates going back up rather quickly once inflation hit more broadly, not just in housing. And they kind of said, not so fast. And I don't know if this is because the Fed saw the same thing. Have you guys heard about the K-shaped recovery? Have you seen that anywhere? No, but I'm going to Google it right now. I, I feel like half of all I read now is <laughs> We've had other letters, stuff. Um, W-L-B. Right. So the K just talks about the fact that one portion of the economy might be experiencing a V, while the other portion uh, is not. Uh, and I think that kind of goes to the heart of why the Fed realized they were going to have to adjust this, is if housing and certain portions of the economy have large amounts of inflation, Consider comparable to what the ideal inflation rate is, then raising rates overall would be harmful, doubly harmful to the bottom half of the economy that hasn't recovered. Does that Uh, make sense? Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. travel, entertainment, hospitality. Yeah. All those things and more. Mm -hmm. And so the main thing that they said was, hey, normally our inflation target is no more than 2% a year. And if it goes much above that, we've got to raise rates relatively quickly. And they said, eh, let's just take an average, a blended average of, of inflation over 10 years. <laughs> and so this just opens the door for them to, to kind of willfully ignore, what, and I'm not saying we're in a housing bubble, but bubbles of a certain nature from an economics perspective to occur in favor of the overall economy continuing to grow. So it's just strange to hear this being said because it's a pretty radical departure from how they typically would look at it. But low rates are uh, looks like are are here to stay for quite a while, which makes the more likely scenario for things that would slow us down going back to supply and labor constraints and just bad reputations. I mean, so, there will be no doubt uh, within the next six months 
there will be some expose story at a major metropolitan paper or news organization about how a home builder has left dozens of homeowners in the dark uh, through delays or not being able to move in or whatever. It'll be interesting to watch. All right, next up okay. from bankrate.com, why the coming foreclosure crisis will look nothing like the last one. So first, whoa, hold up, foreclosure crisis? Yep, it still <laughs> is a potential to be a rise in foreclosures. Of course, like, like many things in the pandemic, we can't really feel it all in the real time that we normally would because uh, the government has delayed the ability to to foreclose. You've got the ability to go on forbearance. But Andrew, you had some thoughts on this one. I know you were slacking me about the other day. Yeah, and then then they just announced they're, they're delaying it until 2021 foreclosures. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the markets as far as like Colorado having the highest risk for yeah. more foreclosures. And then some states, I think it was Kentucky had zero, zero percent change. <laughs> yeah. Foreclosures. Yeah. But I, th- mm-hmm. I was thinking it's really interesting just if you are, if you own rentals and you, no one's paying. So there's that issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just prices in general, then you're com- really combine the first article with this one as prices get higher and then mortgage commitments get higher. I don't know. I feel like the first article is changing this one a little bit. Like it's yeah, for sure. Daunting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And one of the main reasons for that difference is this time around home equity percentages are much greater. I don't remember the exact number, but it was a, it was a large number of people that were um, estimated to have more than 50% equity in their current home. And even in a distressed sale situation, we're not underwater. Like we were in 2008, 2009. Yeah. Yeah. For now, which is. And the percentage of homeowners to be in foreclosure is much smaller, too. I think it was only like two to 300,000. Yeah. Um, whereas mm-hmm. back in the day, it was like four. 932,000. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In one quarter of yes. 2010. Yeah. Exactly. Is this a is this a negative outlook? If someone sells their home now, they have tons of equity if they mm-hmm. purchased it. Mm-hmm you know, in the right time, um, to afford the home, depending on what they're, what they could be qualified for, they might have to put all or most of the equity as a down payment to get the mortgage down, which would then, so it depends on that, I guess, could then change the risk, like in say 2021 or 2022, if people have say a $600,000 mortgage, they came from a $300,000 mortgage Mm -hmm. and then their income were to change depending on if they had to put all the equity in or not the equity in, they either have mm-hmm. cash or they don't have cash. If prices could adjust down, which then could change. Yes and no, only because as long as interest rates are going down or are mm-hmm. much lower from when you bought that house, there's there's the equity, but then there's also the cost of borrowing that is getting lower. And that's that's as, as long as interest rates continue to, to, to hang low, going back to the first article, that plus the amount of equity that people have, it's usually not a, not, you know, that, that distressed sale may not have the same value, but if they put all the equity from their, their house into it, then again, they have, they have equity there yep. to get out of it in a, in a pinch if they need to. All right. Sometimes people have told me oh. that we don't talk enough about things other than Facebook and Instagram. So we've got two Google stories for you today oh. from searchengineland.com. Google adds to limit search terms reporting, citing privacy, but not so fast. This is not really a great thing, is it, Andrew? 
It's not, but it, it depends on your setup. So I have a, a blog post will be out about this probably next week. No, it's out this afternoon. Oh, it's out this afternoon. Yeah. Okay. We're getting this. Super fast. <laughs> I finished it yesterday at like six. Yeah. So the day before. <laughs> cool. Super fast. So what this means, search terms is what people type into Google. Keyword is what we bid on. So you have those two definitions. We have to make sure we understand what Google's doing is with privacy, they're limiting they're essentially setting a threshold on like, if someone types in a search term once, we won't see that anymore. So if it's unique, and I think it's like 60% of searches are unique. So it's only if there's an a aggregate of people typing in a search term, will we see it on the search term report? So that could be an issue if you like have Home Depot in your search term, if you're bidding, just depends on your match type of how you're bidding. So there's the core issue of like, what are your match types, which essentially tells Google how loose the search term can be compared to your keyword or how different can it be? Remember keywords, what we bid on search terms, what's typed in. So if it's a 90% the same, it will show up. But if you bid a different way, it could be 50% different. And yeah. then you might not see that like, oh, I have all these really bad search terms, but you won't see them anymore. So it's... Yeah, because a lot of the worst search terms are low volume, which potentially yeah. means low risk from your budget standpoint, potentially. So yeah. some people would, might argue you don't have to be overly concerned about that, but also depending on how you're bidding there, there might be like all those small little terms in aggregate that might up. lead up to 30% yeah. of your spend. So it, it's, yeah, the, so the positive side, if you weren't really managing anything before, it doesn't really matter because those issues were there before, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if that's positive or not, but you should, this now I think forces people to have more control over how their keywords are bidding. Yeah. So kind of fix the this problem. This is also a bigger discussion, right? It's a slippery slope of first Google started doing this with organic. Hey, we're going to show you less and less data. Now they're, they're starting to tell you we're going to show you less and less data. And it feels like to me, and this might be my tinfoil hat <laughs> uh, comment of the episode, but this is just them slowly changing the temperature or turning down visibility over time to get us to the point where like you've talked about, Andrew, they don't want you really to manage this at all. Just a, give us your money. Tell us what you want to have happen. A keywordless and, world. It's yeah. Like a, like a Disney world ride. Welcome to tomorrow. Keywords are no longer what you worry about. And I think it's just interesting that Google wants to create more black boxes. Yeah. Especially because Google, like if you're on different, say, Facebook groups or marketing groups, like Google is like the best results is still about having the most control. Facebook, mm -hmm. it's about providing the channels for data to flow between what you want and then like the Facebook pixel. So it's their opposite. And Google's still trying to be like Facebook instead of, it'd be nice if they went the other direction and gave you even more control. But I think they see that as like less revenue potentially for them. Only I can think I, of. Um, I think it's just them saying, we think most people are stupid. And so if true. we can make this easier and simpler, more people will do it. And in some way, they'll end up trusting us because we're Google. And I'm just not sure that's a great long-term strategy for them yeah. to go down at all. Yeah. And Becca, you've seen it. Like the better results we get, like the more a builder wants to spend on Google. Yeah. Which comes with providing more control. Yes. Yeah. yeah I guess that's another way of saying it. I feel like Google's betting that vanity metrics and people are getting excited about activity regardless of sales is, we'll make is the way they're playing more. it. It just seems very, very strange. And well, again, one specific example they're talking about is 
right now, a lot of a lot of you listening might look at your your search terms data and add negative keywords based upon what you're seeing there. Yeah. This is making that a less mm-hmm. viable strategy. You're going to have to have a better negative keyword list of what you know, yep. you know, without having really necessarily any data moving forward to go off of. You're going to have to. Yeah, yeah, you'll have to look at a lot of research on your yeah. Look at larger date ranges, I guess, Mm -hmm. to pull in if there's more clicks, or just from the beginning, not have those keywords that are potentially pulling in those irrelevant searches. Yep. Yeah. All right. From GlobeNewsWire.com, which I think means that this is something that this company wrote and just paid a PR release firm to put out into the world, but it was sent to me by someone that I like and trust. And so I think it is worth talking about data is from homesusa.com. I guess that we just gave them a free ad, but we don't add, we don't have ads. (laughs) Real estate agent survey reveals how home builders can increase sales. Dallas area agents want the same access to new homes that they have for existing homes. It's a really interesting idea. And so basically what homesusa.com did which, by the way, they, they claim to be the number one brokerage for new home sales. That's a little bit interesting because they get credit for every sale in their system through the MLS, whether they actually are involved in the sale or not. So that's a great way to make it look like you're the best. <laughs> Guinness <laughs> World Record Holder. Yeah, Guinness Book World Record Holder. Oh, my. But they've surveyed more than 4,000 agents, and they said real estate agents are nearly unanimous in what builders can do to help them sell more new homes. Agents need more flexible scheduling in order to show them. And this creates another interesting use case for tools potentially like mm. YouTube or Anternow, Rently, et cetera. I don't know that real estate agents would use them, but maybe those companies can create the like a simultaneous MLS access capability in the future. And if they have those now, I'm just not aware of it. But it's an interesting idea that they just they want unfettered access to the homes. Which so they really want kind of like a super lockbox that they can just exactly access at any time. Yeah, but if during any stage too. Yeah, they, interesting. I'm sure. I mean, nothing against most of the agents listening, but most agents don't really want access to a house and framing or just you know that's too too early in the process unless they really are experts in new construction. My my question for you is: if you guys had to pick one. Uh, a super type box that the MLS would normally use, or a YouTuber enter now rently type situation. Which would you rather spend the money to pay for? Because super lock boxes are not inexpensive no. either. So if you had to pick yeah. one, which one would you rather use on your homes, inventories, oh. and models? It's been a long time a since I've used a super lock box, but I think in order to go, you have to go with a realtor Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. share with you their clients information so Mm -hmm. follow-up is difficult but if you're in one of those areas that's highly populated by realtors and almost every sale gets a realtor i think i would go with a supra because realtors are not always great at technology and using what they know best and making it easy might help you sell more um, I think, on the other hand, if you live in an area where realtors are not a huge part of your sale, I would go with some one of those others that you can use to capture information for follow-up. 
Anyone else? I'll go. So I think, what's the perspective on the question? Like just, or just answer the question. You can only afford to use one type of lock, either a lock that caters predominantly to agents or a lock that caters predominantly to consumers. Yeah, I'll lean towards Becca's answer. If we have tons of realtors coming in, I want to make it easy over the competition for realtors Mm -hmm. to get into our homes if we have a lot of inventory homes. So if they're all elderly or technically challenged or whatever, like I want them to show our houses whenever they can, even if that means I don't get to bombard everybody with my follow-up because if they're interested, they're going to follow up with us, right? But like thinking right now. You could follow up with the realtor because I know it registers when Mm -hmm. they enter. And then I think, but I don't know this for sure because it's been so long that there is kind of like a scheduling software that goes along with it. So you Mm -hmm. can say, hey, I want to visit now. Is it possible? And it'll either say occupied or not occupied. And if the realtor is unresponsive, then... Then you know. What do you do? Like they're unresponsive. (laughs) Like that's, I don't know. You you know to move on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Challenging question. Bryce, any other I agree. thoughts? <laughs> I agree with exactly what they said. Depending on the market, it's depending on the clientele and whether they're technology savvy or not. That's a key role into selling when it comes to lockboxes on the front door. I know entertaining, I would never be able to send my grandmother to go open a lockbox. Like, I can't even get my mom to know how to work it remote. So. <laughs> No offense, Mama, if you're listening, but <laughs> Made it this far. I think that would be the struggle. So therefore having a real estate agent go along with, I think is the most beneficial. Therefore, I think I would actually mainly probably send it only for real estate agents. All right. You guys may have the better answer. It's just not my answer. I'm not saying Good. I'm right and you guys are wrong. We need this. <laughs> I just have a different, all the time. I guess I have a different take and this will prevent also, you two are entering now, folks, from you don't have to say, keep screaming at your, at your speakers. <laughs> I would yeah. only put in the consumer device kind of wherever I was. And for, for two reasons. One, <laughs> the agents who are successful and sell the most number of homes, generally speaking, don't have technology issues and are like, they're, they're the ones that are keeping up to date. They're current most of the time. There's always other situations like Mike Lyons call the bun will get it done uh, chain smoking real estate agent who wouldn't show him a house <laughs> even after he called twice this was like 12 years ago 15 years ago now I think but so I think most of them would as long as you change your messaging or communicated to them if they did call and ask for a showing hey all you have to do is put in your driver's license you can access the home with your client uh, take them through and more than anything, I just always want to keep the consumer in my focus. And we know that most people are asking their agent to help them get access to a home. And so if, if consumers are leading agents much of the time in terms of things, showing them things they like, things they're interested in seeing, mm-hmm. I would rather start with the customer and have that connection to them and then over-educate, over-communicate over compensate with the real estate community to get access to it. I actually think the super boxes are more expensive overall yeah. than either of the other alternatives as well. Yeah. I think the, that's interesting. I think the intent is whatever makes it easier to get people in. So if the messaging on your site is realtor friendly, 
mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think both could work. But if they're yeah. like, oh, geez, one of those things, like they don't want me to register and I'll have to do this. And like, I just want to drive there now and show it just like. For sure. Not- if you think about the folks at mm-hmm. Abrazo and Fisher and Mungo and a whole bunch of other folks who had very quickly put about put put out messaging around virtual sales opportunities and, and on-demand access, I think it just would need its own campaign like that directed at the real estate community that would get their attention, help them understand that it's simple and easy. Yeah. But the other thing before we move on, I really like this insight because most builders are trying to say, how do, let's give them more bonuses. Let's, mm. let's just throw more money at the agents. That'll solve the problem. And he says, it's common for builders to offer a financial incentive or a bonus to a real estate agent for selling a new home. But the survey shows that access to a home is far more important to an agent than a bonus. And yeah. that goes back to control. They, they don't want to have to tell their client, sorry, I can't get us in until Thursday when they're used to being able to say, yeah, let's go see it. You know, they just, yeah. let's go tonight. They want to control that. You want a coffee? Which makes total sense. Done. It's the Amazon principle. Exactly. Yep. All right. Last article for today. Google to start growing digital audio ad business. Uh, The headlines direct direct from Google is listen up. New features to grow your digital audio business. And what they're creating using Google Ad Manager is to expand to support audio ads with dynamic ad insertion for audio programmatic use. So whether it's something like TuneIn or Spotify, as someone is downloading an episode or streaming it live, it will insert the right ad in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. And this is a little sneaky. We were just talking before we started. You know, Spotify, I I pay for the family plan so that everyone can listen to their music without ads in the house. Mm -hmm. Man. But if I listen to a podcast on Spotify, I still hear their... You know, native ads to, to steal a word from display, right? Yeah, they can just mm-hmm. say whatever they want. And there's an ad in that. So I think this is a, a way for them to get around that, where uh, I will still be paying for the ability to stream music without ads. But they could argue with their own consumers that it's impossible for them to remove ads entirely from podcasts because they've always <laughs> been there for the larger shows anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this I think it just, to simplify it, it will turn podcasts into monetize YouTube videos, which could yeah. be sponsored by whoever, but then yep. there's still ads every five minutes if the person monetizes their videos. Yep, Me. exactly. Or it's like display ads with sound, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of how you're bidding that way. I wonder what the cost would be for a, uh, like a builder. I don't know, but I feel compelled to tell anyone listening because I've, I've got to set up a new email system just to stop with the people who are like, I listened to your last episode and I would like to suggest myself as a guest and they have no... Part oh, no, of didn't. home building or anything. They're like the, <laughs> I'm the only person who's cold spam emailed Amazon and got business, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't care who you are. So we are not accepting ad advertising. This will not be on our program. Don't bother asking. Yeah, be, I think we make like $7 or something. <laughs> they put the ads on there. Yeah. yeah. I get this on LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll sit down with Scott Stratton, author of Unmarketing, as well as a book that I just love the title of, uh, QR Codes Kill Kittens. (laughs) You're going to love this guy. We'll be back in just a minute with Scott Stratton.
back with Scott Stratton, a future keynote speaker at The Pulse, which we're going to talk about. But more importantly, he is the creator of Unmarketing, international speaker, six times best-selling co-author with his wife and business partner, and Muse, Allison Stratton. You're right. Exactly. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. The people listening right now have to know, have to understand that Kevin did the perfect thing right before going live there. He made me laugh. I <laughs> don't oh, no, understand that when you start a show, like a lot of times you have the chat, like we chatted before we started recording and then you just start and you're just like, okay, let's, let's start talking. And then you're like back to square one coming into an intro and the, and I'm laughing. It, it changes the dynamic of a show. So I just, this is my kudos to you. If there's well anything done, I've so. learned from listening kudos. to podcasts over the last 10 years, it is to let the audience know that something fun just happened that they missed out on. Yeah, please. We yeah, if, like we can, if we can just kind of ostracize everybody and, and, and including Andrew, by the way, because I've just been complimenting you and Andrew, you also made me laugh, but I just haven't. It's not, not right before hopefully, the, hopefully the start. Yeah. Well, See. Scott, we're going to talk a lot about who you are, what makes you tick, but I want to start off with a really softball question for you. Okay. Yeah, fire it in there. True or false? QR codes kill kittens. Uh, true and false. <laughs> I, when you write a book called QR Codes Kill Kittens, <laughs> and uh, it's a picture book of business screw-ups, that's what it is. When you write that book, and I, we, we still stand by it uh, proudly, but then seven, six years later, a pandemic hits. And so everybody is contactless. And so restaurants start using QR codes on their menus. And it works because Apple finally has a native uh, QR right. code reader in their finally. camera. Do you know how many people send you articles about the resurgence of QR codes <laughs> when you write a book about QR codes? Every day. A, a plethora, if I may <laughs> say. And, and the thing is, the funny thing about QR codes, Kilkitten, there's actually a backstory to, to that whole thing. So first off, as I would say, Seven years ago, <laughs> and I still say it now, there's nothing inherently wrong with any technology, Amen. QR codes included. I'm a huge geek. I'm a huge tech geek. I love anything tech, anything disruptive, anything that could also make the path to buying easier for a consumer. But that's everything about it. And the problem with QR codes, I always said in a vacuum, in a closed system, they've not only do they work, they have been working for a very long time. Boarding passes for, for airplanes, tickets yep. to a venue for a concert or, or a sporting event or anything like that. They've been working for a very long time. Thank you very much. Doesn't matter what Scott says about what they do to kittens or anything else. And that's true. They are brilliant. It's when we rolled them out to consumers as a marketing tactic where the QR code took up a third of the ad or half of the ad or part of the, on a, on a bus uh, ad, by the way, do I run after the bus while scanning? I don't know. Anyway, so. But Scott, there was a mini logo in the middle that was customized. <laughs> so it was branding oh, and hey, a QR code. Hey, hey, yeah, don't get me wrong. QR codes were great for marketing agencies. <laughs> They're great. That's a whole new thing you could sell. You're like, oh, we will, we will also for $500, we will generate the QR code for you. Generate. That like, sounds, click, click, that click, hard. done. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it was funny. So on stage once on a, on a gig, so I've done like over 500 talks on, on, for, in conferences for keynotes. Wow. And I said in 2013, I said on stage, I was, and anything I always talk about starts off as an impulsive rant <laughs> on stage in front of people, which is not always the best way to do things, but I was losing it about QR codes. And I said, look, listen, I said, every time you use a QR code in your marketing, a kitten dies. And the place went nuts laughing. And I'm like, huh, I'm on something. And so I started using that because I had a QR code rant in the middle of most of my keynotes. And it was the lunacy of, of doing it. Like somebody emailing me a QR code. 
I'll give you, I'll give you a second. You know, it's just like, it's like, it's right. like, and so then I did a whole like skit of where, where an email comes in on a phone and where the camera is and like doing like a whole pointing to where the camera and you want me to scan it. But the big problem was they weren't natively recognized in like the iPhone camera. Android did it much earlier, but it's like when you pulled up your camera and the QR code, it automatically senses there's one versus opening up a different reader, downloading it and understanding it. I'm like, you're asking humans too much to do right now. People are like, well, you just get an, uh, you just download an app, and I'm like, have you met humans? Like overall, have you met yeah. humans? <laughs> Technology? Have you ever like? I am still having to go reset something or plug something in for a multitude of people in my family because I once yeah. showed them I I could reset the clock on a VCR. So yeah. it's like you, you, that was the big problem with it, and and now they're finally. It only took a pandemic. And I'm so glad. But even, it, it was all that stuff too. And we're not going to talk about QR codes this whole time. Everyone, don't worry. <laughs> um, but it was, it was also just marketers saying, well, this is great. Now, all the stuff that the marketer can get from it. It really never, I, I would argue, it never was about making the customer experience easier. Nine out of 10 times anyway, it was, well, now we'll know how many people are looking at our signs in real estate. Like, and therein lies the problem. That we're, we do the things that may cause an issue or cause another hurdle because we want something else, which is fine in business. Like there's a lot of things we go, especially on the back end that allows us to, look, we always want to find out, uh, the intent is good. And I, the, here's the thing, I think people were confusing or I was confusing with it as well, that it was not the intent that was the problem. It was the execution of it. So that when somebody wants to, like, I want to know if I'm, sell, if I'm putting in a, like the famous line, right? I know half my advertising works. I just don't know which half. And that right. whole thing, like that, you know, age old, type of, of, of saying is that I, I want to know too. Everybody should want to know what is actually creating action, right? A good chunk of marketing is pushing people towards an action towards yeah. the brand and then the sales takes over. But with this type of stuff, you know, call now and ask for operator 23 or call now and ask this. It's all tracking, right? It's all extension one, two, three. It's all tracking type of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's not new type of things. The problem is when we, we use it, because a lot of times I feel that these codes were also used to show that we're using QR codes. Absolutely. It was to show that, hey, For we sure. are this company, that we are hip, we are cool. And all it does is make the hipper, younger, cooler people that use the tech make you look dumb because it didn't work. Because also half the time you'd scan it and then it wouldn't go. It wouldn't go to a mobile friendly site or wouldn't go. All these things would happen. I'm like, so it actually makes you look worse. But as we all know, people are like, well, let's, let's you know, people come up to me and they're like, should we do a Snapchat campaign? And I'm like, can you fix your website first? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Because it's, it's from 2002 and it's not um, rendering exactly. Oh. You need to be, it needs to be a response, you know, it has to be a responsive design. And they'd look at me and go, what is, what are you saying? I don't understand the words you're using. And I'm like, this is why you shouldn't go on Snapchat slash TikTok slash QR code. I'm like, build, fix your base first. If all yeah. of this stuff, if all the marketing we're doing, if all that, and I don't have a problem with, look, no marketing is bad. I, I really need to say this because my world's on marketing. People are like, you're against marketing. No, I greatly enjoy marketing, greatly. And anytime somebody says, well, this is dead. So direct mail is dead. Right. You need to use this. They're usually selling the solution. Exactly. Okay, they're selling the alternative. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I, and since I'm going to tell you that it's all social media and these 27 sites, I know you don't have time, but I'm going to tell you about all of them and I'm going to overwhelm you. So then at the end of this webinar conference talk, you're just going to be happy me. to help you with that. We'll be yeah. happy yeah. to help you with that. Trust Consultation. Me, there is no bad marketing channel. There's just bad marketing in those channels. Mm -hmm. And everything, I think direct mail right now is better than it's ever been to be able to use. I think, I think address direct mail is one of the best methodologies you can possibly use right now in marketing if it's done well. 
So when you look at all of these things, we tend to throw things away or, or, or the opposite. We want the shiny new thing. We want to talk about Snapchat versus saying all this effort we do. And I don't care if you do Snapchat, TikTok, QR codes, everything else. Where is the end goal here? And if mm-hmm. it's to go to your site, if it's to go and think about buying a new home, investing in some properties or looking at what's going on in your neighborhood, and I get to your site and all this effort and all this time comes and I can't read your site on my phone or I can't contact you properly through it or you're forcing me down a road that I don't want to contact you in a certain way, what's the yeah. point of all this? Yeah, Seth Godin's quote was, we're always obsessed with the next big thing and we don't realize that the, the big thing's already here and we're ignoring it. Yeah, I get asked just, every, every year around November, December to, to add my thoughts to everybody's lists, right? <laughs> and it's, it's a wonderful privilege I get to have. People are like, so where's the, can I talk about disruption a lot? And they're like, so where do you see? And I also get, you know, known for the social media world. And like, what do you, what do you see in 2021? What, you know, what should companies do? And I said, we have to do 2014 still. <laughs> We have to be better six years ago than we do it because it's then it's it's just a Jack Russell Terrier running around on a ferret. Like here, 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 here. Focus is what is I think is sexy in marketing. Yeah, a plan is the hot thing to me to do it well and do it right, and then be it accountable and trackable and figure this stuff out. Scary though for marketers because the more you focus and the more you learn something, the more you realize what you don't know. that, I think on the surface, it's scary excellence. though. Yeah. I, agree, I agree it is scary, but I think the good marketers, I think the people who are in marketing because marketing is a way to get messaging out there properly and resonate it, you actually, I think you want a lot of this stuff too. But because I think oh, a yeah. lot of you on marketing is, is data. And because the problem with marketing is, especially the, <laughs> the wrong type, is just like, we're just going to put it out there and, <laughs> and we hope it comes back. And that's not, Nothing works well that way. We can talk about branding and sponsor and, and impressions and sentiment and all those type of things. But at the end of the day, I think in marketing, we do want more of this stuff because then we can be more, there's more accountability. We can directly relate marketing oh, to dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's, it, Scott and I are completely aligned for those of you who can't see my <laughs> facial expression that I just said. <laughs> but what we talk about internally at, at Convert a lot is that we find as, as not, not everyone for sure, but a lot of people that we work with and, and certainly those that we don't, marketing is is like the least accountable oh like we're going to talk about the crm and actual yeah. lead counts and what's happening after oh for sure well that's the sales like we don't want accountability and i think that's an absolutely huge mistake because accountability is what gets you paid accountability is what increases your career path accountability is the i don't know gets us gets you a seat at the executive board so much yeah. yeah yeah when you can sit there and go this made this happen and now, now, but not because we can also have a whole long multi-day debate on data, right? And vanity data versus correlation versus causation. And we could, there's a lot. So it's also the problem is also make sure you're reading that. Uh, one, of the, one of the main things for me, one of the talks I would do is data is called um, data digits and dummies, right? And is, the whole thing is data is dangerous and, and vanity that metrics. And, and, and so that's a scary thing too, because I can make, and you and anybody listening to this right now, can make, you know, with, with any stat, I can make it up. That whole line, right? 79.6532% of, of stats are made up. Right. And, and mm-hmm. without context, especially, you know. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Oh, so much. Number, so just, much so. Sales yeah. are up 100% here, but <laughs> the competitors are up 300%. We just, 100% sounds impressive. You know, let's just say I it. Always, I always say the most important case study you can read and mirror and emulate is your own. Because the problem is when you see case studies sometimes, I love, and I love, oh, I love case studies. I love 
uh, seeing things and, and giving me the behind and, and looking at KPI. I, I eat that stuff. I'm such a nerd. I love this stuff so much. But the problem with that stuff is, is then saying, oh, okay, we just have to do this. There is no just in any of these things. There's no just in case studies. There's no just in any of your case studies, right? For, like there is work involved and there's, and you make it into a post and it has to be a couple, you know, you know, here's three points and everything else. But you also didn't see all the other things that go with it, that the, the intellect behind the people who made the decisions, the either yeah. the the ability to make certain decisions in time versus getting 17 approvals for something, right? So it's like all these things, it's great to have all these best practices, but it's your stuff yeah. that you want to look at. Really and, and, and understand you know it. this because you're, you're a keynote speaker. People lie at conferences. All day. Uh, and I don't mean the keynote speakers. <laughs> Every keynote <laughs> speaker. But the number of people who have come up to me after a talk and been like, well, our cost per lead is $40 here. And then I end up working with them later and i'm like well you said it was 40 well that was yeah well i felt like that was close weeks. to where we were yeah somebody we a, like but i under, i don't here's what i i'm sure you both share my pain i'm like why is anybody guessing we have the data yeah we have not only do we have data we have real-time data from google well, you've ads thought about this Facebook. longer than any of us have i'm sure scott though is that because there's there's the creatives and then there's the there's mm -hmm. the nerd data people and yes. rarely do the two mix. Is that yes. the problem? Hundred percent, hundred percent. I guess that's why we're such rare people, Andrew. And also, though, you get some, and you're, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but a creative side of stuff, um, sometimes also doesn't, sometimes doesn't want to break that down too hard because there's, but there's two reasons. Mm -hmm. One is because part of marketing isn't about direct call to action. Mm -hmm. Part of right. that is there, and, and and then there's a whole thing of there, and I I do agree with that. But the other side is sometimes in creative, myself included, by the way, I've done this with videos I've made and other uh, type of things. I see it happen. I see the numbers and I'm like, the video is better than that. It's a better thing than what it got. I'm like, and, and then I start thinking, you're all a bunch of fools. <laughs> you don't even appreciate good content, right? You know, like, like for me, so it's just like, I have this also like a recording artist putting out a single and doesn't chart the way it. I'm like, you're. I'm wasting my talent on you people. Like that's so we get, we get part of that. That just comes with creativity too. Yeah. Because creativity is something's made and then of course it's hammered down sometimes and then, and then watered down and it goes out there. Then you have this doubt and you're also, because also then you also be judged by stuff. And then sometimes your job is judged by this or a client is judged by this. So I don't fault that. But if you can find that, if you can get that creative with the analytical, oh my goodness, unstoppable, unstoppable. Yep. It's hard to think, find um, that though. In the home building world, the marketers, I think, have a little bit more difficult time because of the influence of like where that community is, where that home is, can make or break your perfect strategy. Yeah. You know, if you put it two miles this way, nothing's going to work that you think would work. Now you're like, what am I doing? Am I a failure? Does my boss think I'm terrible? Like mm -hmm. this worked for 90% of what we do. Yeah. And now this one community. <laughs> I always it? tell the story, Scott, of the, when I went to Pittsburgh in 2009. My builder that I worked for was the official home builder of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And mm -hmm. they paid 300 grand a year for the privilege of saying they were the official builder of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then you had to pay money to tell people that you were the official builder on top of that. And so the first thing I was official. like, guys, we can't do this. Our, our budget just doesn't allow this. This isn't a good use of funds. And they would, they would argue with me. And I would say, do you think anyone says to themselves, I really want to be in the Mount Lebo School District? But you know what? They're the official builder of the Pittsburgh Steelers, so my kids can go to Canon Mac. No, that's not how anyone is making these decisions. And not that we can't get back to making so much ridiculous amounts of money that we can 
we can become that again. Yeah. But right now where we are, it's not, we don't have the funds to get same or better, which is the way that I talk about. I think what you were just saying, Scott, is what metric should we hit the same or better every year in yeah. all these places? That's, yeah. that's where we're on benchmark. And that's where sponsorship is. It's, it's, a, it's a funny part of the industry because under sponsorship too, you know, it used to be sponsorship and it was brought to you by, then it started being stadium names and that was moving. And then it was the, and we've always had the official this of this, right? You know, we, from my, a lot of the TV feed when I was growing up, like we talked about before coming on here, I was out of Buffalo, New York. So I'm like the official air conditioning of, of Tonawanda, of, 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 of Cheektowaga. Like, so I, I know the commercials from that. So I know the, uh, all those type of stuff, but it's, it's a funny thing when it comes to the justifying of the costs. And I had hopped on, so where we are in, in, uh, in Toronto here, right? They, we've had different names. And I, I spoke at a sponsorship convention last year. I walked out and we were in Toronto, right? So we have the, all the main arenas and, and stadiums. And it used to be Sky Dome, Air Canada Center, and the Molson Amphitheater. And they changed it to the Rogers Center, Scotiabank Arena, and the Budweiser Stage. And I walked out and I, I said, it's really nice to be in Toronto about sponsorship because we have these three places. And I named all their old names. <laughs> like, you know, Sky Dome. This, and then, of course, the whole audience is like, does he not know? Does he not? And I'm like, you're all the only ones that care. I, I said it wrong. <laughs> I set them all up. I just set them all up and then just took a swing. And I was like, understand, nobody cares about sponsorship as much as you do. So and that was a whole, it caused some, yeah. it caused some issues. But it's the point, which is, and I believe in sponsorship dollars. I believe in sponsoring things. I, believe, I think it really does something. But the problem is a, part of that too is access or vanity. And rightfully so, right? If, if I'm going to get uh, four, four field passes to Steelers game, and my own thing, and this and this, and it's also a, a legit business expense. And there's other things to sure. And when yeah. money is coming in freely and everything else, you do, do your thing. Yeah, man. There's yes. no doubt that most sponsorships are merely a way to reduce tax liability of you know making. Yeah. We have so much money. What do we do with it? If you built a company in your whole life and you worked in it, and you want to become yeah the official driveway paver of <laughs> of of the Dallas Cowboys then give Jerry some money and go do it. That's awesome. I think it's awesome. Yeah. The problem being is that also you also then you break it down and say, okay, do we want to have this accountability part of it where we're going to say this equals this and this equals that. And you just can't say, well, I think. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't work because, you, because and you can't. You can't just say, well, I think because we know. And the problem is when somebody says, well, I think and somebody else says, well, I know because here's the numbers. Well, who then, <laughs> who gets the invite yeah. to the table, right? I can prove it. And that's why we kind of get our butts kicked sometimes in sales versus marketing because sales has the number here, here it is. Here you go. But then you're like, can we attach this to this and this to this? And then yeah. it's infighting for budget. It's infighting for the, the annual things. And, and I, and I also understand that I also was corporately in HR. So you look at these, everybody's fighting for these positions at the executive table and you have the, right. the, the COO and the CEO and the CFO. Is there a CMO? Is there a CMO at all? Or are they a VP of marketing? There's nobody from HR. So they, you're, you're fighting for these scraps sometimes there versus, you know, look, if our business, our business is, is, is only a few things, it's either a product or a service and it's people. There's no other, there's no business that doesn't involve humans and either a product or a service. What makes those things happen? One there's so many different to... trails you keep opening up of places we could go. I feel like we haven't even finished the conversation with him, but you're, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right. And yet I feel like our industry is trying to figure out how to reduce the number of people as fast as possible. Right now, home mm -hmm. building is obsessed with how can we automate? How can we digitize? How can we get rid of as many humans to be helpful in this process? Because 
we're in this groupthink lie that humans really don't ever want to interact with another human. And, and that they don't if you don't provide value. Mm-hmm. But if you provide value, that's still... And it really comes down to one thing how, to me is how big is the trust gap for the purchase? Really, for me, this is what we have. It's on our wall somewhere behind me here, I think. It's a street. But there's this like, so you look at, you look at, there's gaps, right? We, and I'm not the first person to talk to you or to your industry and talk about how you have to earn trust. It's, 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 it's been said qu- quite a bit in the industry, but here's, you have to visualize it for me. So when I have to go, if I want to go buy a pair of socks, just socks, I'm not talking fancy. I'm not talking, I got to coordinate with my outfit. I mean, just a pair of socks that I got to schlub around in, whatever it is. I don't need a huge amount of trust in, in let's say, the store I'm going to go buy because there's already a brand. And I'm going to get, if I might get, I get Nike socks, I'm going to get starter, I'm going to get whatever, whatever that is. But, but I don't have to then, I don't have to research for a month, usually, where I'm going to buy that or a bag yeah. of chips. I already see it or I see laser or laser chips or ruffles or anything. But I see the brand in the store, I'm going to go get that. When I buy a new home, when I'm looking at looking at one, the trust gap is immense on so many levels. One, it's about the, especially yeah, location, location, location. That's also not the first time that's been said, but there's also the builder and where I'm going to go. And the problem is when you hear about new homes being built and then buying them, and it's exciting, but it's also extremely, extremely, extremely stressful. When you look at any kind of list made by psychologists <laughs> right. or psychiatrists from any medical school <laughs> anywhere, one of the top five stressful things in your entire life is buying yep. and or selling a home. And some people are doing both at the same time. So with higher stress means the trust has to be even, the gap is even bigger. And how the number one way you create trust is building Chatbots. Right. Yeah. You build I'm so sorry, I exactly. couldn't help myself. Chatbots. <laughs> the number one way to build the humility and humanity <laughs> is through an automated stupid. thing that doesn't work properly. It, usually. Or, you know what's never been said by somebody who wants to buy a new home? Hey, everybody. You know, you know hey, Jeff, you know when I call the bank, and they say my call is important to them and there's unusually high call volume right now and the wait will be eight to nine hours but they've said unusually high call volume for 12 years now which is makes this the usual and then i can't reach and then i get disconnected can we do that virtually now and just not get anything done again i like i understand automation we already we've discussed i am a i love making things more streamlined more fluid everything. Oh, if it wasn't for automation, I, don't, I, I couldn't do what I do. Right? Newsletter, everything else. Automation has a great place. I love yeah. it. But you can't automate relationships. You cannot, you cannot have a... Would you send a mannequin to a local networking event? You literally are doing that with your logo, but you're there. Oh, you're there. And by the way, if the conversation gets too dicey or they don't ask within the three parameter questions... We'll call somebody to come to the event and talk to you. They might be six to 12 minutes to get there, but they'll come if you can just wait and stand beside the mannequin. <laughs> yeah, I've talked you. about the Main Street USA. Disney is not putting animatronics on. Ma- Welcome to Main Street. Thank you for your five yeah, to 10 grand. not be the same. This a is a magical day today. After, yeah. and, and Amazon, one of the most technological companies in the United States, if not the world, employs more humans I hate to say it this way, and not that this is right, but the right humans are less expensive than the bad automation. I, I say to every audience in this industry, and I'm not talking about just, just building homes. I'm talking about building homes. I'm talking about real estate. I'm talking about mortgage industry. Every one of these industries have the same type of thing. And they, they ha- it's almost this hypocritical type of thing. I'm like, I talk to them. People have been in business forever. What's the biggest way 
What's the biggest way? I talk to any real estate agent, any builder, anything else. What is the number one way you've gotten new clients? They're like, well, referrals. it's from a referral. What creates referrals? Oh, happy existing clients. Chatbots and QR codes. How do they get happy? Well, we have a good relationship. <laughs> so you believe relationships build good businesses. Yes. Then make building them your business. I don't, I don't understand how this equation is not the most basic equation in the history of this planet. If you believe businesses built on relationships, make building them your business. Do you like talking to a chatbot? No. Can they help if you're looking for something? Maybe, sure. You call in, you know, hey, press one to do this, press two. Okay, we can deal with that. But, but, but the problem also, is even, isn't that just a loop back of like, you were too lazy to read what it says in 20-point font on our website, so now the chatbot can tell you the same answer that you could. Like it, these, people, these people are making six to seven figure purchase decisions. You can put up with their crap. Yeah. You can. I like that. You can, can put up with their that? crap. If you're, gonna, <laughs> if, you're selling, if you're selling bags of chips, okay, I'm not putting up with your crap. You want to know what's in the chips? You read the ingredients. You want to know, but if you were actually nice about it and you talked to me about the history of chips, now I'm impressed. A little creepy, but impressed. If you love creating community, if every single new home builder, every single builder out there has community somewhere in their signage, on their website, because you're, 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 I need to, I need to relax. You <laughs> are the literal builder of community. But the word community is a verb. It's what you do. Yep. It's how you act. It's how you converse with each other. And if you want to start this community by pretending you're talking to them, because a lot of bots, one of my problems with chat bots, and I think it's a fantastic, fascinating technology, is the fact that some places actually pretend it's a real person. Right. The ones who say, this is a chatbot, then we can see if we can help you. And if not, we'll kick you to a good one. I love the disclosure of it. I don't like the execution of most of them, but I like the disclosure of it. But if right. I think I'm talking to somebody and then I realize I'm not, that all then erodes trust. And trust is the everything. We just, oh, I'm going to talk. It's just going in circles. Yeah. Well, and, and that's where even when you've got humans, but you try to give them some technology, like every CRM system out there, we're going to, well, we could just automate those emails. I mean, after you have any interaction at all yeah. with another human being, none of those work well enough for no. what type of risk and, and investment people are making. Anytime somebody signs up for my newsletter, so the unmarketing newsletter, I've, been, I've had the site, I've had the company for almost 20 years. I have had the exact same automated welcome email message when they sign up for my newsletter. Okay, and here it is. When you sign up, you go right now on marketing.com and sign up. You don't have to, but it's up to you. I'll do it. In the show sign up, it's automated. And they get a message away immediately, like automation does. Hey, thank you so much for signing up for the unmarketing newsletter. I know how crowded an inbox can get, and I really appreciate you giving us a slot in there. Can we ask what, what industry you're in? We really like tailoring our content and stuff to different industries, and I find it fascinating to see what industry everybody's in. Sincerely, Scott. Every day, I get replies for almost 20 years. Not a lot. I don't get a lot. Most people don't reply. And almost every reply starts the same. Hey, Scott, I know this is automated, but I figured I'd reply anyway. <laughs> and then I reply back. Automated is the nicest thing I've been called about. <laughs> so you tell me you work here and here and here. I was just there uh, last year. Love the, that place. Or uh -huh. didn't love it. You know, whatever I, whatever I interrupt, because yeah. I, I, I would fly everywhere. And the biggest impression wasn't the, the, even the intro email, which most places don't do, ever. The biggest thing was, oh my God, you replied. 
oh my God, I thought it was automated. And so then I get to turn on the other side of it and say, no, it's me because it's me. Because how long does it take me to type something in a reply? 20 seconds? To these people who have raised their hand and said, I am in, I've read your stuff or watched a video. I like it. And I'm going to return that high five back with them with, you've just signed up. Here's the information you just gave us. Thanks so much to unsubscribe here. Buy a house. Go here. Yep. Do this automated one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. And they and sent from do not reply all caps at homebuilder.com. <laughs> no way. How is that starting a conversation or community? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I call it the, uh, to use a uh, U.S. football metaphor. It's the technological stiff arm. It's like you're interested, prove it. Because yeah. we're like, try to get to me like you do with your younger brother or sister when you're yeah. you're fighting. Oh. Them. And then we and then we have a whole thing where we get leads. So I used to be a national sales training manager of a packaging company. I flew around North America training people how to sell bubble wrap. I'm going to say that again for everybody so they can really, <laughs> really awesome. hear me. Because right now they're like, what did he say? I flew around North America training people how to sell air. If you think selling new homes is hard, try running two-day training schools, 16 hours of content on pretty much... That's it. Wow. Double Commodity at its greatest, greatest level. So when you look at these... we And so we would sit in trade shows and I would work the trade shows at McCormick Place in Chicago and all the big places. We'd spend a million dollars on these things. Bring the whole team down. We'd have all of our fancy bowling kind of shirts and stuff, trade show booths. 10, 10 hours a day on her feet, collecting leads, scanning badges, hobnobbing, chatting, talking, giving away swag, wondering why a different place gave better swag, trying to figure out which booth gave that swag better and everything else. <laughs> and we're walking around and they're doing the stuff. And then at night, I would go to my room, 10 hours on McCormick Place floor. I'd go to my room. I would parse the leads out. I would move them around, give them to the right salespeople, send them out that night, training to get back to them by tomorrow while they're still here before the noise happens when you get back the week after the, the buying show, the week after the trade show, when everybody starts getting flooded with the messages, I'm like, hit them up. This is how we differentiate this stuff. So they still get a message when they're here and they'll come back to the booth saying, I can't believe I got your email. And 97% of the leads I sent over those three days never even got an initial follow-up. Yep. And then I asked the, the salespeople, I said, why? <laughs> Just why did you not follow up on almost any of these? And they're like, uh, we looked at the leads. They're just tire kickers. I'm like, Bruh. you sure? All 640 <laughs> that I spent 30 hours on the wonderful, wonderfully cushioned and comfortable McCormick yes. Place floor because we had carpeting because we paid extra for it and was about as thin as saran wrap. You decided not for you. And then what is the complaint? We don't get good leads. I don't know if we have time to go all the way here, but I'm curious your thought on lead scoring. Not that it's always bad, but I feel no. like that the, the fact that you are going to score leads is an admission that you know you cannot actually interact with all of them. And that's the problem that I have with it. I don't even know if you want my opinion because you pretty much just gave it. That's it. <laughs> that's pretty much a big <laughs> We do have time that. then. We got time for another. But, but, yeah. I think, but I think here's the thing with, with anything with, with testing and data and keep going on with, with you know, what we say about data and my HR background. And that's what I took in college. I took HR in college. And, and so there's a lot of, of um, profiling done. So personality profiling, uh, MBTI, uh, what color is your parachute? A lot of these things, right? Ask somebody, what are you? Uh, ENFP. I'm an ENFP. So when people what see that, color? they're like, oh, of course. Are you a blue, red? Right. Or, or a, 
uh, you know, it's 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 literally the business version of astrological sign. Okay, pretty much. It's but, and there's a new the, one every three years because right. it's the same those, cycle. We've got a thank funny. you. And most yeah. of them have you're going off the same base test one way or the other. You know, uh, Myers Briggs, Myers Nor Briggs, I believe, was actually somebody who was actually qualified to create one of these things. But it fits narratives. And the problem with any kind of qualifying type of things, right? Grading leads is then we also don't we don't check our own biases. Mm-hmm. Grading leads we do by sometimes by zip code. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bias in there. There's a lot of layers and problems in there. So be careful how you're grading things. Be careful and check for bias. You don't know what that is. Hire somebody who understands that. Not me, by the way. Hire somebody who understands what a data or surveying bias is. Because do you not want the most accurate data? And if you are throwing away leads, can you please, can you please make sure you whatever you're grading them with is right? Yeah. And is accurate. Well, and, and the it, home buyer journey is so long. That's what Andrew exactly. and I have talked about for a long time. Yeah. Is someone might go back to that community page five times in a week, but you have no idea in that year longish process. Are they going back there because they keep fighting with their spouse about how much they hate your community and never want to live there? But your lead score keeps going up. Look, they're interacting. They're back. They're amazing. The site. Data the phone. is dangerous. Yeah. But it can be because it'll confirm bias. It'll confirm your own misconceptions about things. It may throw down money down the toilet. You have to make sure the data you are using is right. It then takes, look, here's our goal. This matches it. And there's causation. Yeah. I think that's where, to me, the thing I'm taking away from this is implicit bias plus the right data. Both of those things have to be clear to the audience. Yeah. Or else something inauthentic is happening, most likely. And then it's just something to confirm what I'm, I'm thinking, feeling, or guessing. And that's when, mm-hmm. when, so in, when those salespeople got the leads that I would send them, they're like, you know, that, and it was either industry, location, or, or the person, or name, right? And it was just, and it was also, there was laziness. Mm-hmm. It was also, you know what? I, I met with the three people at this trade show I wanted to meet at. I'm not even bothering. It's not worth my time. But, and also then the sale, because the salespeople only have X number of hours in a day. I understand sure. that. But when you put in the work and the time to say, look, here's how it's going to work and make your life easier mm-hmm. and automating, <laughs> but the, automating irony the right too, parts. The irony too is, hey, we need to hire some more salespeople so we can actually interact with all of our customers. Well, no, that's not a good answer either because now, you know, oh, because take you also money have out of my pocket. You yeah, sometimes who runs your company and if it's sales, that's a huge mistake, Ooh. right? So with, to me, if sales not shouldn't a run a company, sales is a division of a company. You have to have somebody who is above commission, usually, to look at what's best. Because as soon as you create commission on something, which is an incredibly great motivator, and it's, it's one of the most wonderful ways, I think, <laughs> to, to structure a, a sales force, there's bias. Yeah. There's bi- but there's also bias on the person running the company. In the packaging company I worked for, our, one of our salespeople finally eclipsed the president in earnings that year because of commission, which meant he was killing it. Yeah. And the president said, we have to change the comp structure. I will, I'm not, not making less. I'm like, you have equity in the company. Right. <laughs> yeah. A little different. <laughs> Overall. So how this works is when you sell, he's not getting a commission when you sell your shares, your right. stock. And it was this, so then you're, but it's also maybe the person's not the best to run the company. You have to be careful because also sales incentives are different, right? So you hit, we're going to hit that because I speak at these events or I did. We speak at these events, like you hit that million or whatever, we're going to do the sales incentive trip, right? I've spoken in Hawaii. I've spoken oh, yeah. in Puerto Rico. I've spoken in, in Amsterdam. I've spoken like all these incentive trips is one of the big, biggest things I got to do. I loved it. 
But the problem is then that million becomes the floor next year. And then we're going to go here and we're going to go here. And if it simply does 10, 10% increase every year, I'm like, that does, that's not hard to then put hello, out Then hello, Wells Fargo fake bank accounts eventually. That's <laughs> yes. the problem. That, but that's where it starts happening. Yeah. That's where then it's because then the incentive becomes the thing, not the company's goals. And people say, well, yeah, well, sales are the incentive. Yeah, yes and no. The right kind of sales are good. Yeah. Okay, so one of the biggest problems that I dealt with in, in, in sales when I used to do the consulting side of it too and like the workshops and working with teams was that there was this whole thing of, of it, it was a, the commission side of it, again, became the point and they got comfortable. And then with commission, right, you, you live or die on that sale number. So then you started getting those biases started, you know, narrowing and narrowing your field of vision because that worked last year, different conditions, different sales conditions or whatever it was going to be. That was a huge issue. We don't look at that. And it's not about the sale because also it was over-promising and under-delivering. So we looked at, well, they got, so when do they, when do they get the commission? Oh, it's on, this, on the signing. Okay, great. It totally makes sense. Okay, they got, but then what happened uh, nine months down the road right. when you, the builder updated and saying, by the way, this will take this long. And somebody comes and said, oh, wait a second. No, the salesperson said, if this changes, I can then pull out if I want to or do this because the incentive was based on front-loading of that, the signing the deal. And we'd have that. And how, how many companies, not just your, this industry, but, but almost every industry, when you walk into operations and say, how, how often is sales overpromise thing? Like, that, well, they never underpromise. That's for sure. Because it was- Which might also be a good incentive for marketing not to hide all the information behind a wall or behind salespeople, right? We shine more yeah. light. That's why it's all, t- there is no wrong, one wrong group here. Mm-hmm. or right group, it's usually one or two of them and the other ones have to compensate for that. Yep. And since so they're like, look, and our name, look, at our, our, look at our year, here are the sales and here it is. And then what your turnover operation is like 190%, right? It's like sales, having a good sales year doesn't matter or is worse if you ruin your operations, your building team or any of that type of stuff. That's, that to me is branding though. Branding yep. isn't about the font and the colors and that has to be done right. But it doesn't matter anymore as soon as you mess up the first home or overpromise or under deliver it. This is the problem. Home building, at least where I am in Toronto, we're west of Toronto. Yeah, we understand home it's building. It's a small market. Yeah, that market is quite something. <laughs> um, and, and so ho- new home developments around here and around at least southern Ontario and Canada where I am, new home build buys are getting the reputation of used car salespeople. Oh yeah. That's a sentence you should never have to say. Used car, by, by the way, no, no problem with used car, and I, I feel bad for the beating they've taken for decades and decades and decades. Because where do you think that reputation came from? People said in the car, there's like, it's an unfair reputation. No, you made it. You, 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 you caused the reputation. You're not all doing it, right. but it was caused based on the, it right. wasn't some mythical creature that came down and said, used car salespeople are evil and then flew away. It was because repeated, <laughs> repeated ripoffs happen. And what is happening in new home building now in the people that I've talked to in the research I've done for the industry, and at least in my area. And the problem is people might hear this and think, well, it's not my area. Is that people are tired of getting felt screwed over. Am I saying all builders set out to, to screw over buyers? No, not no, even they remotely. Don't. But what we can say, I can say, is that they don't set out to create a relationship. There's a the clear, here is your gift, Scott. You moved in. 
we left a wrench under the sink and there's a, a plunger by the toilet engraved with our logo, but and please we, never call us again. Yeah. And we pushed the, uh, the possession date here for the fifth time uh, here, which is, yep, this. And I, I have never heard out of the people that I know, the people that I've talked to with no new home builds, not one has ever moved in within six months of their promised movement date. Wow. Well, now, and that's now only going to get worse with you know, in the, in the industry. People hear that. They're like, well, of course, because this and this, I don't care. I'm not in the industry. I, when I say I, I mean, I, the consumer. Yeah. It's your industry, but it was not told to me. It was promised in the sales pitch, mm-hmm. but in the contract, it's not, I know that. I yep. know, I know. But instead of sitting down and saying, Hey, so you may have heard with new home, but here it is. Here's what we try to do before they buy. Yeah. Overcoming objections before <laughs> they buy. Here's what happens in new yeah. home. You buy, overcoming objections before they bring them up is one of the number one things you can do to build trust. And saying, so with new home, so this is what happens. This is what we do at ABC Homes. Yep. And this is what our plan is. We will clearly communicate this as far ahead as we possibly can. And then when you send that email out to the, your people who have bought and you are pushing the date, then you open it with empathy with it's yep. this and but here and then give the reasons you don't think you're gonna boil it right down but i mean because of this and this and this nobody it, it, clearly communicate treat them as a customer instead of buy or goodbye once they buy right and that's a problem with most industries right but in, especially this one which is once you buy once you sign here's your house and never talk to us again right it's a, and that's yeah. like a, I, I go to a bank right i won't name my bank it's td and i would go <laughs> in but i've been a customer for like 28 years and i i, I do i I love my people at TD, but also they've also ruffled my feathers quite a few times. And I, I walked in years, a long time ago, and I saw a big, big, huge poster. And they're like, if you open a, a new business account, we're going to give you a free flat screen TV. And I'm like, I like free TVs. And I right. walked in and I'm like, hey, and I have a business account. I'm like, hey, can I grab one of those TVs? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, uh, sir. That's for new accounts only. I'm like, oh, can I close my account? <laughs> awesome. And then I walk, I walk over to the next window. I'm like, hello, I'd like to open a new business account. We treat potential customers right. better than current customers. That is backwards. That Completely is backwards. backwards because going back to what we said, if you're telling me referrals are the number one things and only happy clients give referrals because regular customers don't, ecstatic ones do, static ones don't. Apathy does not create referrals. Being okay doesn't create referrals. It's and for, also customers. for the audience listening, realtors are referrals of there a different go. sort mm-hmm. too. And are they happy? And you know how they're happy? When you treat their clients well. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you hurt them, that goes in reputation. And we never, and here's the thing with all the numbers too, we look at our, we never look back in the mirror and say, what did we do wrong? Like, did we mess up that realtor's referral? We only do it on the surface, right? Or this didn't work. This number didn't. Well, have you asked if you have, if realtors are one of your biggest generators for a new home, for a development? Okay. Let's say that. Am I safe to assume that is a, yeah, most places in the country, it's going to be 50% or higher. So so let's, let's, let's go with that. So it's going to be referrals from realtors. How happy have they been with, how happy have those realtors been with the people they've placed in the past five years into your development? <laughs> and, and do then, we and even just, know yeah. enough to even guess? Other yeah, than so never you, don't, you don't know. <laughs> and so what you're doing is saying, well, do, we'll send them a cheese basket. What's a, what's a cheese basket, by the way? Wine basket, thank you. A cheese, a cheese platter. Who <laughs> sends cheese in a basket? Sorry. <laughs> but you have all these type of things happen, right? That's... Look, write to your realtors, the ones who have sent referrals so far. Write to a referral realtor who sent you one, even one, and just give them, just ask them three words, three words. What should we stop doing? What should we start doing? And what should we continue doing? 
as a builder to make sure that when you refer one of your clients to us, they're ecstatic you did because we know we are an extension of your brand. Send email. Done. And you'll know why you are or not getting referrals. Mm-hmm. That's it. I think, I think a big portion of that will be educating just because home building is so new to most people and it's such a long process. There's so many places things can and do go wrong. Yeah. Just setting those expectations ahead of time. That's it. We'll go. And that, that always brings it. us back around to Elena Money and her good attitude addendum. This builder has their folks sign that says, things are going to go wrong. And I promise and you promise that we will not curse at each other, but we will work together to make them right. And- e- uh, Italy, that chain of... Uh- a great Italian kind of experiential kind of restaurant shop type of thing. Italy has a bunch of locations. They have a great sign. I saw, uh, saw online once and it was, the customer is not always right. We are not always right. And somewhere in the middle, we'll figure this out. Hmm. With that type of thing, right? So it's just like, it, it's just, there's, nobody's infallible. Nobody's expecting it. The problem is, and you look at the disappointment, it is the expectations being let down. It's managing the expectations. But the problem is you over, we can oversell it. And I understand it. I understand it. I, I so air across North America. I understand getting the sale. I, I do. And I understand. And it's exciting. And sales does drive organizations. I do, I do believe in that. I'm not that marketer who's like, well, sales. And I do. I just don't think they should run the organization. Right. Because there's a vested interest in certain parts of that. And I think somebody should run it that can overlook all those things and not have the only ear being sailed because they all have to work together because customers don't see silos. They don't see yeah. sales and then marketing and then operations or client service or any of these things. Yeah. They don't see tradespeople, builders. They don't see all these things. They don't see the fact that there could be a problem because rebar, there's a problem with the, in the industry, but they could. Right. We don't that, want, we don't, that's also we, why customers love the new home specialists or online salespeople so much is they're incentivized to help the individual, regardless of community or location, get all the answers to those people. And, that, and there's no surprise then that the, a lot of people say, can I just meet with you yeah. instead of that person yes. in the model home? Can you just help um, me with the rest of this, please? Yes. That is called, that's a customer with relation and the person they're talking to should be the person. Yeah. And, 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 well. and do you convert, Scott, one of the things we say is that 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 position, the human beings that help people convert from a browser to a shopper to a buyer, that's the ultimate attribution system. First click, last click, attribution, right? That's yeah. the, the attribution system that that creates is the most powerful one that we have. So powerful. And it just, and this is why then we get in these conversations about using data and convert and it's all, and I love it. But the, one of the other problems with the data being dangerous is you don't take these other things into account. Nothing works in a vacuum, right? Nothing is isolated. Nothing, because what happens if I do a successful, let's say, AdWords campaign, right? Oh, and, this is, and, you're, you're going right to the ad, we call Andrew the ad doctor. You're going right to yeah, this so, so, so let's say, so let's say I, I have an appointment with the ad doctor, okay? And Andrew yeah. figures this out with me and we figure, and we finally, we figure it out. And we do it and it makes, it's great. The, 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 the cost the per lead, it works. Well, everything, we figure that we fine-tuned it Beauty. to a level that only Andrew <laughs> can do, okay? We fine-tuned it. We get the lead and it works. And they come in. Well, everything happens after that point. Some people will then blame on the lead. Well, we got this from Google and ad. They've got this yes. and his, and, but we're only closing it's this. It's Google like, people. Yeah. But no, Google's it's, amazing. It's all no, Google, right? It's yeah. Google's fault. Yeah, it's either we Google's fault or Google We should just only do Google. Google. No, Turn everything else off. It's part of the process here, people. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like when people would 
interview or something like you're only as good as each step in sales. You're only as good as the next step and they all have to be in cohesion. And this is what happened, especially in the guys remember when the, like the infancy of social media, when they started getting kind of brand acceptance in it back in like, uh, you know, like 2010, 2011, 2012, where it really was people are like, well, I don't think this is going away. And some places started, it's like 19, it was like 96, 97 with the internet with companies, right? They're like, the internet's not for us. So you looked at all these things. And the, so what happened was I would then go on and I had a problem with my cell phone or something. And I would go on and the Twitter team would be like, boom, they'd be like so fast. They did it right. And they're like, hey, we saw your mention. Like I wouldn't, and they reached out right away. And I'm like, yeah, I need this help. They're like, you have to go into the store. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, okay. I understand. Yeah. There's a certain thing. And I go into, they're like, we, we've said, we've told them ahead of time and you're coming and here's the issue. And I go there. I'm like, hey, the Twitter team told me to come in. And they're like, what? <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Yeah. What's the problem? <laughs> well, we don't Start do that over. in the store. Like, yeah. And people are like, you know, the Twitter teams aren't worth it. Where there's been like, no, it's every step. And whatever step drops the ball, that's the brand. But if you can all have the same level or level and higher, then that becomes where each part of the team, the problem is you can't just slough all this off to a social media person and pay them below poverty level salary for you then to say, well, just do the social. This is the, epicenter of all of these things. This person has 29 hats on and they're like, yeah, well, no, but my nephew can do it too, you know. And I'm sure your nephew could. But this is the communications hub of things. And then we say, well, it's not worth it or not worth this. Every step of that creates that sale. You got me on rants, guys. I'm just ranting. Oh, no, this is great. This is so this much is, ranting. What is also so great happy. is we just, we just talked to Scott for the last 30 plus minutes and he's going to talk for as a keynote at the Pulse for a shorter period of time than you have listened. But can you imagine what else he's going to bring later on? Oof. But here's the thing. See, because you guys Better know how jokes. to write. You, you, that, yeah, that you, we well, can you, promise. Better you, jokes. You get the right questions to get me going. So you get the, as, as, as Allison would call him, she knows the right trigger point. Right? So he wants to get a rant. She's like, oh, wait, well, he's, he's got it. So what happens go. is I'll get keynote triggered like I've done 23 times in our conversation today. Right? It's <laughs> keynote trigger. Because especially when I do this, Right, whoever can see this, or if, if, if you're just listening, right? But I go up on my elbows. I'm like, okay, listen. It's, just, it's like you get positioned more. I'm like, all right, here, look, it's going to be an epic rant or something. That's how, because, but I, here for me with all this stuff, I am, I'm really passionate about community, both literally and figuratively. But stuff, I think communities save the, the world. And hmm. that's why I get so amped up. And anything in the real estate space, anything in the home space, gets me going so much on stage virtually and everything else is because I really truly believe the ones that do community right have the automatic leg up on everybody else for a very long time if they do it well. And that's why I get so mad in the industry. I get so flying off the handle, whether it's QR codes, whether it's a bias against age groups and buying or where it's turned into my millennial rant, which is actually on the side of millennials and people don't realize that until I flip it on them. All those rants are out of passion because it's so frustrating that the industry that flies the community flag is sometimes the least per people that contribute to a community when it comes to virtual conversations and relationships. Yeah. And one of the questions we didn't get to was true, true or false, the bigger budget always gets the best results. And we know, right, shortcut to that one, that's, that's false. But people all the time are, are concerned, how do I go up against the big guys? You know, the, the huge home building companies, mm -hmm. and I just do 30 homes. I'm like, that's, you sh that should be easier. Much easier. Yeah. I, I, I love I love any time somebody came to us and said, back in the consulting days, and they're like, I just can't compete. I can't outspend them. I'm like, good. Because that is a game. That is a race very quickly to the lowest margin. 
And plus, it's, it's not a way to build the relationship. You can do ads and build them at the same time, but you have more flexibility. You can maneuver. They have the old cruise ship versus small boat and you can turn, yeah. but it's about that you can try <laughs> stuff. When really big companies call us up, we're, we're like, yeah, no. And then they're like, no, please, please work with us. Mike actually has like a list of like 10 rules that it's, it's almost like the, the bill of rights of some fashion of you must agree in advance to all this happening or the answer is no, because it's not fun for us either. It's not fun for, the, it, it's usually not as fun for the customer to work with a larger home building organization. And it's usually not as fun for us for a, a lot of the same reasons. We, we are way over time. Scott, thanks so much for for hopping on with us today. Excited to see you for the pulse coming up on October 6th. Me too. It's going to be a blast. We're going to have some some fun. It will be. And let's just, because I've had my third cup of coffee this morning, if you listen to this episode, for some period of time after we posted in the Facebook group, every person who comments with their favorite stratism, do you have a a term for your little nuggets of wisdom that you stratism your favorite thing that scott said all you got to do is post it i will send you a copy of unmarketing yeah because i'm a little lazy it'll probably be the kindle edition and we'll send it to you electronically <laughs> but we will get you a copy of unmarketing so that you can be prepared to be part of the pulse that's cool a, it draws you guys are doing that thank you that's very cool appreciate that had me uh, laughing at the start going into the intro and then giving away some of our books at the end i like this show all right scott we'll see you in october we'll see you guys then all right as promised he delivered scott stratton is hilarious and insightful at the same time a rare combination we couldn't be more excited to have him with us at the pulse dycpulse.com for more information about that all right answers to last week's question of the week what is your company having a hard time procuring as part of the construction process lumber fireplaces appliances concrete let us know all right we'll just go around the horn here uh Starting with Bryce, read them off. Lumber and windows from Laura, Lori, Lori. Dawn says all the above, oh. <laughs> which answers a great amount of questions. Melissa Kelly says lumber and windows as well. So it looks like a lot of lumber and windows. Yep. Amy, appliances, delays. We closed a few homes without appliances at all mm-hmm. that were ordered wow. pre-COVID. That's crazy. That yeah. has to be fancy ones. <laughs> Ashley DeYoung Seabird also said that they put in loaner appliances until they can replace with what the customer actually selected. So this wow. is the kind of stuff that's so interesting. Right? Like the all white plastic looking appliances that no one wants in their house when they're building new are probably quickly going out of stock as everyone's <laughs> like, just put in something so that they can keep their milk cold and then yeah. we'll swap it out later. Katie says all of the above and garage doors. That's an interesting one too. Mm. Closing a home this week and we are escrowing the garage doors since they still are not in. That's Mm. a wow. Crazy one there. Beth from Stylecraft Appliances. And if I get one more email about a backsplash being canceled or discontinued due to supply, that will make her mad apparently. Mad cry face. Cindy, Appliances Doors. And Aranza, Appliances and Lumber. We closed on some houses without appliances 
over two months ago. Wow. Oh, wow. It has caused our prices to increase tremendously across the board, which has scared away buyers. So this is an interesting one, and I, I guess I should have put this earlier. The Oakleys are building a home. We will be building mm-hmm. on our lot, which will be new for us. And we are building with a, a custom builder, which is also newer. Like Heartland was a semi-custom custom builder. But most people would keep like 85% of the home. This was kind of just start from nothing and figure it out. So what that means, my custom builders listening, is a word that I think is going to come to haunt us over the next couple months, which is allowances. Mm. You, guys, you guys don't know what that means? Yeah. Means That's like more expensive. We gave you a, an allowance mm-hmm. for your cabinets. We gave you an allowance for appliances. We gave you an allowance for your upgraded windows. But now guess what we get to do over the next 60 to 90 days? Upgrade. Meet with everyone and figure out what the heck they end up charging us for all of those things. And they're going to have, I hope they aren't listening, a legitimate excuse to raise prices on us. So yeah. Will you order your appliances <sighs> like this month in anticipation no. there will be issues? So we waited to try to make this all work where we don't have to sell our existing house. And so we can move in. So worst case scenario, <laughs> we'll pull the fridge out of this house and stick it over there somewhere in the garage for a Temporary. little while. Yeah. It'd be interesting. Because appliances, I think it was like appliances and windows and lumber. But appliances are interesting to me because I, it's like, is it a certain model or a certain series? And then like, oh, we have this one, but it's another 1200 more or they don't want to go down. So they're, I don't know, like or is it all appliances? Yeah, my understanding from, from talking to different individuals is that appliances has more to do with, it is a rather complex thing that's being created. It's not like a window where you've got wood, yep. plastic, vinyl, and mm-hmm. glass. And the final assembly is rather quick. It's kind of like a small automobile in terms of the, some of the complexity of what these appliances have in them and the installation process. Or, and most of the final assembly or majority assembly is done in places like Brazil or Mexico or other countries in Latin America that have had more severe uh, shutdowns gotcha. because of fears of the virus. So it's brand wide. All those Crazy. things kind of Factory go together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Crazy. Uh, this yeah. week's question of the week is awesome because everyone wins. Um, so we're going to post this question the day that this episode goes live and whoever uh, comments on your favorite Scott Stratton quote or insight will get a free copy of Unmarketing uh, that I will pay for and send to you via Amazon because I'm not going to a bookstore or doing it any other complicated way. <laughs> but everyone who comments within a 24-hour period of that episode going live will get a free copy of the book. All right. That'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out dougavert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.